subscribe to the Hit That Line Podcast Network. This podcast is powered by the pros at Pascal Air Plumbing and Electric. Arkansas owned, Arkansas operated. GoPascal.com. You're listening to the Bud Light Morning Rush Podcast. Bud Light, proud sponsor of Arkansas Athletics. I'm always high on the hogs, you guys. I'm high. Well, I'm not high right now, but my day is young. My odometer's way up there. I'm that 2018 that's already got 130,000 miles on it. The Razorbacks rush across the field to get that boot. Tommy Chuck and Ty, you guys are the gold standards of sports talk radio. He bleeds to Arkansas. Ty's got good hair. All right, a, a conversation that's always worth it is with our friend Richard Downport of Whole Hog Sports in the Arkansas Democrat Gazette. Uh, Richard, a couple articles you've written recently uh, with some guys that are have been talking with uh, some coaches here on campus football-wise. Tell us about Aiden Anding. Yeah, he's a guy that's a pretty interesting prospect. He's a 2025 uh, cornerback out of Luke Ruston, Louisiana, about six foot, about 165. Uh, last year was his first year to play uh, high school football. He played junior high, but uh, last year was his first year for uh, for high school, and uh, and he he really uh, <laughs> really stood out. He was a, a former basketball player. I thought the, he thought the, his ticket to to maybe go to college and maybe beyond was uh, uh, in basketball. Then he uh, gave uh, football a try and. He's got uh, about 14, 15 offers right now, Arkansas being one of them. Great relationship with uh, Coach uh, uh, Deron Wilson, uh, the secondary coach. Uh, and uh, it looks like he's going to visit sometime in March. Probably a guy that's going to continue to blow up. Ole Miss uh, recently offered. Uh, but uh, a guy that's just getting on the radar of a lot of schools, he's just rated by one recruiting service, the three-star, but I think that'll probably go up at some point. Just a great, great athlete and uh, and, and a really good kid. Uh, I was really impressed with his maturity and his uh, just just the way he he talked. He, he you know, some, sometimes you get a you get get the feeling of a kid that uh, seems seems to be uh, you know all about himself. It's uh, but it's that's not the case with Aiden. He, he's a good quality kid and one of the leaders of the team. Richard, when people hear Rustin, they think Rustin Rifle, a.k.a. Scotty Thurman, basketball side of things. You've gotten some some kids out of Louisiana um, before. Uh, what is Arkansas's chances these next few years under Sam Pittman and this staff to, to maybe have more success in the upper parts of Louisiana, the kids that maybe don't get looked at as heavily by LSU? Well, you know, uh, northern part of Louisiana has always been good to Arkansas. Uh, the farther you go away and, and you talk to people in Louisiana, the farther you uh, go away from uh, Baton Rouge, uh, the less influence of LSU. Don't get me wrong, uh, LSU is still pretty strong in, in, in all parts of Louisiana, but the northern part, Ruston, and, uh, you know, near the Arkansas border, uh, there's there's uh, you know a good amount of Arkansas fans, so uh, uh, kids are not as in- inclined to, to be automatic Tiger fans, even though a lot of them are. But uh, it's 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 just not as uh, uh, I guess you can say just a, a, a strong hold for for LSU. So uh, I, I tend to think uh, with uh, Coach Wilson is is. Uh, connections in Louisiana because he's a he's a he's a Louisiana native. I think that's going to help, and 
and uh, you, you can always point out to, to a lot of the guys that uh, come from that area in northern Louisiana and, and been successful at Arkansas. Richard Davenport with us here on the McClarty Daniel Hotline. Richard, a few days ago I was reading something you wrote about Eric Mateos, Arkansas's offensive line coach, and kind of some of the connections he's uh, created. Uh, tell us more about what you learned as you were putting that article together and um, a highly recruited offensive lineman that he's been after, Darius. Is it a Valva? Tell us how you say his last name as well. Uh, I, you know what? I... I... I got to ask these young men how to pronounce their names, but I, a lot of times I don't. I just, I just uh, kind of wing it uh, myself. So mm-hmm. I, I'll go. I'll, I'll uh, go with what you said as far as his mm-hmm. last name. But just uh, Darius, I, I'll just say Darius is probably one of the more impressive young men I've talked to in a while. And then I know, I know, I say that a lot. I think I, I just enjoy good kids, and, and he is. Uh, he was. He's just a grateful very family-oriented kid that really struck me as, uh, you know, uh, just, a, uh, just a great, great young man. He, uh, We had been communicating, and we hadn't been able to get together, you know, on the phone, and, and he apologized and apologized over and over, and, and there was really no reason to apologize, but uh, he, he felt bad about uh, not being able to get uh, back with me as quickly as possible, and and I was just, I was just kind of blown away by that. You know, you usually don't hear that from too many young men. But six uh, five, uh, about three hundred twenty pounds. He, he's from Hawaii, but he plays uh, plays high school football in uh, Utah. And uh, Coach Mateos offered him when he was at Baylor. And uh, in the first conversation that they had, they they instantly uh, uh, connected, and and uh, Darius really emphasized that. Uh, he said he probably wasn't going to go to go go to uh, Baylor. He just felt like the you know the competition maybe you know in the Big Twelve and stuff like that uh, not as uh, as good as he he'd want. But uh, once uh, Coach Mateos uh, got to Arkansas, his interest level instantly picked up, and he said he plans to make an official visit. Uh, he's got uh, uh, LSU, many other uh, top. Uh, Power five uh, offer, so uh, a very, uh, very highly recruited kid, and just a great, uh, like I said, just great quality young man. But uh, uh, he, he definitely plans to visit Arkansas sometime, probably in in June. I I, I get the feeling that that's when it's it's going to happen. Richard, we got spring football practices coming up in just a couple of weeks, and I know that's always a busy time for coaches to get on campus, guys to be around, high school coaches to get on campus. I, I assume that uh, this spring will be no exception to, to some of the recruiting activity that will go around spring practices as well. Oh, absolutely. That's, uh, you know, uh, that's that's a big, uh, big, big draw for kids to, to uh, they, if they, they, uh, they visit a school. They, a lot of times, they want to see a, a team practice, especially obviously during the spring and maybe in the fall if they have a chance to do that. But uh, most of the time, they don't. But uh, they they want to see how the players interact with the coaches and the coaches uh, coach their uh, their particular position. So uh, that's going to be uh, uh, it's going to be a very busy time during the spring. Obviously, not only for spring practice, for, but for recruiting purposes and. And, and next weekend, uh, not next week, yeah, yeah, uh, March 8th, uh, Branson uh, Hickman 
from uh, SMU, the transfer is going to be making an official visit to Arkansas, the top interior uh, offensive line uh, prospect in the portal, according to on3.com. Uh, will be uh, will be visiting, and that's 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 big. Uh, you, you already got three uh, quality uh, offensive linemen uh, from the portal, and they're currently on campus. And, and uh, Branson will be uh, visiting, and uh, he, he's uh, pretty excited about uh, making it making his way to Arkansas. Richard Davenport's with us on the McCarty Daniel Hotline, Whole Hawk Sports, Arkansas Democrat Gazette. Artie, you got any thoughts on the combine this week? Former Razorbacks five participating starting tomorrow. No, no, I'm not. But I'm kind of interested uh, in seeing uh, what uh, uh, Bo Limmer does in the bench press because uh, Arkansas had some pretty good uh, uh, bench pressers in in the in the combine. Uh, you know, I guess Mitch Petrus was probably the the, the most notable as far as the, in the bench press. Uh, he, he, he was in the 40s, I think. And uh, Bo Limmer is definitely one of the stronger guys in the. Uh, in the combine, and I'm interested to see what he does in the bench press. Uh, Richard, in in terms of when this basketball coaching staff starts recruiting, I know they they do it periodically and stuff, but is it one of those things with the transfer portal that as soon as the season ends in Nashville, which we expected to, that they're going full out and that's their only focus uh, until the next season when they start game planning for the next game? Yeah, no doubt. Uh, the portal uh, officially opens uh, March 18th and then ends uh, and, and closes uh, Mar- May May 1st. Now, uh, graduate transfers they, they can enter the portal at any time. Uh, so uh, you know, you know that they're already they're already you know they're already looking around, and uh, you know that's that's uh, that's going to be their focus, especially like you said after the season ends. So uh, it's it's going to be like any other off season and after uh, the season and and the portal opens up uh, you know they're going to be very very involved and uh, and it's going to be a very busy time we'll leave it there this morning man we appreciate you giving us some recruiting insight and some thoughts on a few other things as well enjoy the rest of your what's your beef wednesday and we'll chat next week till next week see you guys all right richard davenport with us on the mclarty daniel hotline this morning and um, you know, you just wonder what the, how this season goes and how that affects NIL giving uh, Ty and it, it, just how all of it goes together with the portal. And he mentioned those dates. It will be interesting to see what happens pretty much through the uh, latter part of March and into April with his basketball program and if they're able to reload in the way that uh, that Eric Bosman has been able to reload. And that 18th is that Monday, so Arkansas will have kind of the advantage of assuming they exit early, which they start are, are expected to start playing on Wednesday night. When they leave, they can kind of game plan and get themselves ready for potential guys that are about to enter the portal that they know are going to hit the portal or the grad transfers, as Richard said, that will have hit it at this point in time. I'm curious to see who they add. And like you said, do they have enough to add when it comes to reloading for this basketball team? All right, if you want to jump in with us here on the McCarty Daniel Hotline, do so at 877-377-6963. The Dallas Cowboys, always a talking point in Arkansas. And Stephen Jones had this to say, and it's a beef probably of many Cowboy fans, including our big C this morning. The Dallas Cowboys absolutely want to get a contract extension done with Dak Prescott, Stephen Jones said yesterday at the NFL Combine. Our whole thing is 
We want Dak to, our whole thing is with Dak him being a cowboy, that is all that's on our mind. When asked about details or when maybe when they uh, get a contract extension gun, he did not expand on that. I don't know if you're a Dallas Cowboy fan how that can't be a beef. This is the guy that is not going to get you over the top to the Super Bowl that you desperately want for the first time in nearly 30 years. He is not that. We've seen in the playoffs. The defense didn't help him out at all this past season against the Green Bay Packers, but I don't know why they just keep kicking the can down the road, Tommy, and I feel like a lot of 90-plus percent of Cowboy fans feel this way. So how do you how do you navigate that salary cap, his contract? Who else who else would take him? I mean, it's one thing to say, hey, you want to go a different direction, but how do you how do you navigate that with the salary cap and all of that, Big C? Look, he's a great uh, you know in season quarterback, but after countless years of playoff dis- disappointments. How does your confidence not waver a little bit? It, it, you know, they aren't going to show that they don't have confidence in Zach. Obviously, like you said, the money is a huge part of it. But, man. Biggest part of it. How baby. many more times do you have to get to the playoffs and lose? I mean, you don't get that many great seasons. I mean, 12 and 5, you take that every year. Windows close. I know some people think the Buffalo Bills windows close this year with them having a chance to defeat Kansas City in uh, Orchard Park and they weren't able to do so. I would say in terms of Dallas, they could say one thing publicly and do something privately behind closed doors. I know they traded for Trey Lance in the offseason. Didn't really see him much at all this year because Dak Prescott stayed healthy, which I want him to stay healthy. I want him to have success. I'd like, Tommy, I'm not a Cowboys fan, but you're exactly right when you talk about Dallas. Sports radio in Arkansas is better during the NFL season when the Cowboys are a contender and they were more of a pretender this year that we saw uh, once again come up short in the playoffs. I just, if I'm a Dallas Cowboy fan, I think, uh, and the majority that I talk to, including you, Big C, don't think he's the guy to get it over the top. And I think it's a $59.5 million hit against the cap uh, next year if they play out this season without an extension. I don't know what the uh, the legalities would be if they trade and what that money would be at the cap or whatever. Some of that stuff's a little nitty-gritty, a little over my head. But I would, if I was in Dallas' situation, I would look for trade suitors out there. And if you could find one, trade him, start over, and see if there's another quarterback that can take you over the top because Dak Prescott's not going to be the one that wins you a Super Bowl. Yeah, the only way the Cowboys are going to win a Super Bowl with Dak is if the defense is just absolutely, incredibly elite. Like, it has to be like almost... A sh- completely a shutdown type defense where you know you you might bend here and but you never break. This, this defense seems to always have their worst games in the playoffs. It, it, it it's baffling and you know I think as long as Dak's the quarterback, there's always going to be this feeling. Well, okay, the Cowboys they're going to be good in season, but when the when the heat is on, uh, he's not going to perform. Uh, that's just how it's going to be while he's the quarterback. You guys sound like a, someone who's got a like a, a, a Yukon or a Suburban or something. It's nice, got leather, heated seats, uh, air-conditioned seats, DVD and the headrest. It's got everything you want, right? Except the transmission slips a little bit. <laughs> but yet you hope someone's going to going to give you top dollar. Well, it retails in the book here for fifty four nine. You want? I mean, who? Everything you're saying is true, so you want to trade him? How are you going to make all that work? I mean, reality sets in at some point. You have strapped yourself to a deal here that is going to be impossible uh, almost to 
to, to navigate. Well, here's what I'll say about that. There are plenty of franchises out there, I would say probably 15-plus and maybe 20-plus, that would like Dak Prescott as their quarterback rather than who they have on the roster. I know Chicago's trying to figure out they're going to draft Caleb Williams, keep Justin Fields. That's a franchise that would be much better off with Dak Prescott. There are teams, there are, I think, suitors out there that would take a chance on Dak to maybe a new place, maybe a new spot that he could help them. Because, again, certain franchises' expectation aren't to win Super Bowls like Dallas. They just want to make the playoffs. And Dak is... That can make the playoffs. We've seen it. Like you, you, you can have him even as basically his rookie year when he took over for Romo. This is a guy that can lead a team and help a team get to the playoffs. He just can't win those crucial games. It looks like. And I again, I don't wish any will ill will on this guy. I liked him at Mississippi State. Uh, from what I heard, he seems like a good guy. So I hope he does. I hope he wins one for Dallas at some point. I just don't think he's going to. And I think Jerry and Stephen Jones and the rest of the Cowboys, Dallas Cowboys organization would be better to move on. And I think there would be more suitors out there for Dak Prescott than you might think when it comes to not just maybe his short-term plans, but his long-term plans as a quarterback right. in the National Football League. If not Prescott, then who? All right. If you don't want him, who are you going to get that can – Finally break through the, the 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 glass ceiling, if you will. I wanted Aaron Rodgers, but I know he got hurt and all that stuff. But if he would have give, if he could have given you two or three <laughs> two or three years, now that have been the most cowboy thing ever is to trade and, and 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 move heavens and earth to get Aaron Rodgers and have an Achilles injury, yeah. you know, opening weekend. Well, at least you're not. That would have been a Cowboys thing right there. I know Dallas Cowboy fans feel like the weight of the world is on their shoulders with, again, not winning the Super Bowl in nearly 30 years, but at least you're not the Denver Broncos who are strapped into Russell Wilson and whatever he decides to do, which was one of the worst trades in the history of the National Football League. In terms of who they get, Tommy, that is, again, if you're going to ask for um, them to move on from Prescott, that is a good question. I I, I think they're, uh, again, you always take a chance, or you're always making a risk, taking a risk on a rookie quarterback. I'm not sold on um, Jalen Williams, or excuse me, Caleb Williams. I like Jaden Daniels a lot better. Uh, Jaden Daniels did it against the stiffest of competition. Uh, I know even in the losses that LSU had this season, uh, he was spectacular for the most part. I got injured in that Alabama game. But if I'm going to take a rookie quarterback, it would be Daniels over Caleb Williams. Uh, In terms of who's out there in the National Football League right now, there's not a lot. Like Fields could be a guy that maybe gets some trade value. Uh, You also have Kirk Cousins. There's – it's it's those great quarterbacks – it's like they <laughs> they get locked down. Like Josh Allen ain't leaving Buffalo anytime soon. Patrick Mahomes, of course, isn't leaving Kansas City. The Chargers want to keep Herbert. He seems to like Jim Harbaugh in the early stages of his coaching tenure. So that is the the difficult aspect. If you're a Cowboys fan, if you're a Jones, uh, Stephen, or Jerry, it's like even if you want to move on from Dak, there's no guarantee that you could pull a free agent or that you're going to trust some rookie to get you over the top, which just doesn't happen in the National Football League. So how many quarterbacks are on the planet right now capable of winning a Super Bowl? I'll go through them. Joe Burrow. Patrick Mahomes. Patrick Mahomes. I think Lamar Jackson is. Some people don't think so. That's three. Josh Allen. Matthew Stafford. Stafford's done. I don't, I don't. Jared Goff. We, that's who the Cowboys need. You want Jared Goff? Okay. If you want to put Jared Goff in there, I'd be okay with that. I know Hurts didn't have a great year last year. I still think he's capable. Of that. That's six. Um, that's the only six I see. Jalen Hurts, maybe? <laughs> nah. Is there another one? Who am I missing? Tom Brady. 
You think they pull Brady from Fox? <laughs> that would be. Now you talk about. Now you just said something earlier. That would be the most Dallas Cowboy theme yeah. ever. What would be the most Dallas Cowboy theme ever is after two years of sitting on the sidelines, they pull out Tom Brady from yeah, retirement, and he comes back to the National Football League. Apparently, San Francisco. I, but I did say on the planet. Yeah, that is no. You're fair. I I think you know what's crazy is that is not an inconceivable thought. No, that it's not. we think about we. There's not. There's maybe six or seven quarterbacks right now in the yeah. National Football League. Maybe one college kid that you think at some point could lead a team to the Super Bowl. But a guy you absolutely have to include, even though he hasn't played in two years, is a guy that's going to be in Fox's broadcast booth this year, and that's Tom <laughs> Brady. And, yeah. and that is just that. That shows like greatness sometimes, even if it's incorrect. Like the same with like Michael Jordan. Even after his wizard days, we'd still feel like, well, he could help lead a team to a championship if he really wanted to. It's like oh, he probably couldn't. Brady probably couldn't. But in our minds, we still think it's a yeah. possibility. Even reality sets in. It's probably not. Well, who's going to win the Masters? Well, maybe Tiger Woods. Yeah. <laughs> you know, same same thing. I you know. But my point to asking that that question and the, the the point to the exercise is, if you don't get one of those four or five guys that. You, you feel like won a Super Bowl, what's the point of getting rid of Dak Prescott? The annoying thing is, is he puts up such great stats. It's like you almost, just looking at the stats, it's like, man. But the, the, then that goes to show that stats aren't everything. I mean, it. You got it's how you perform in the playoffs. And like y'all are saying, there's not many people that have done it. Stats aren't everything unless it, he's your fantasy quarterback. Yes. And then it is everything. And he was great for me in fantasy. Let me tell you something. <laughs> Dak was fantastic for the Thunder Ducks this year. He just wasn't great in the playoffs for the Dallas Cowboys. Uh, and Aaron in Springsdale points out the teams I just listed, four or five of them are the AFC. That's one of the things I said leading up to the Super Bowl. I didn't feel like a single NFC quarterback could beat any of the AFC guys. End up playing out with one of the greatest of all times, getting it done for just another another Super Super Bowl in his early career. The Arlington Resort Hotel and Spa in downtown Hot Springs, Arkansas is the perfect destination for your next getaway. Join them for a romantic Valentine's Day getaway with a special dinner or romance package. Or if you're coming to town for live racing, they've got room for you every weekend, including Martin Luther King Day weekend and President's Day weekend. Experience all the luxury and hospitality of a Grand Southern Hotel. The accommodations are sure to please everyone. Visit ArlingtonHotel.com for more details. That's ArlingtonHotel.com. Call or text the McClarty Daniel Hotline at 877-377-6963. McClarty Daniel, a vehicle for every lifestyle. When you're looking for a new car, you want to shop for a vehicle you love with an organization you trust. You've probably heard that McCarty Daniel means making deals, but what I'm inspired by the most is that McCarty Daniel means making a difference in our community. When you buy a vehicle with McCarty Daniel, you reinvest right here in the community, in our schools, in our little leagues, in our food banks, and our people. So you're not just making a purchase, you're making a difference too. Come see us at any of our six locations in Northwest Arkansas. Bet Online continues to be your number one source for all your basketball wagering needs, including pro and college hoops throughout the year. With up-to-the-minute odds, stats, and trends, you can follow your favorite team's path to the playoffs with in-game live betting, contests, and all the best player props. Experience the world's best wagering platform anytime from your desktop or mobile device. Head to Bet Online today to become part of the team. And remember to use the promo code BELIEVE for your 50% welcome bonus on your first deposit. Bet Online, the game starts here. 
You're listening to the Bud Light Morning Rush Podcast. Bud Light, proud sponsor of Arkansas Athletics. I'd like to welcome in Chris Lowe, ESPN.com senior writer on the McClarty Daniel Hotline. Really excited to, to talk some college football with Chris. Chris, i got to start with Nick Saban's retirement. Now, you've covered a lot of things in the SEC over the years. How nervous were you when you broke that story? I'd have to imagine that's the most nervous you've ever been as a as a writer. Well, I mean, I've I've been doing it a long time, so I guess that's a way of saying it. I'm pretty old, but uh, <laughs> yeah, it was. It's one of the it's one of those stories that you know is going to resonate um, across really across the world and for a long time in the college football landscape. So yeah, it, it was. I mean, I think that one and going way back when Spurrier decided to come back to college football or a couple that that, um, that jump out to me, but uh, I knew sort of his impact on the sport, just how dominant Bama had been under him and just sort of the way he had set the tone really for college football that uh, that was going to be one that um, it, it set off a lot of alarms. Uh, I knew he was thinking seriously about it. I didn't know that he would pull the trigger. And um, But when I got word that day it was going to happen, yeah, it was, it was a little surreal. It really was. I'd be lying if I said it wasn't. So, Chris, on the on the subject of Nick Saban, I know one of your recent pieces is about how he can not just help with college football, but really college sports in, in, in general. Uh, for those that maybe haven't read your article, what are some of the things you can maybe foresee him helping out changing college football or at least helping it moving forward in this new NIL and transfer portal era? At, at its core, he wants to see the chaos just working through the chaos on all the different sides. And he doesn't, have, you know, he says, listen, I'm not a lawyer. I'm not probably as up to date on all the legalese as, as others in the sport, around the sport. But try to find a way to bring some kind of uniformity, um, some kind of uh, you know, reform to where you can play the sports and not have all these debates about, you know, players jumping around with no contracts from year to year, you know, signing kids out of high school, you know, with no cap, no salary cap, no contract, no nothing. Uh, I think that's what he wants to see. You know, Nick is one of those guys who believes deeply in developing teams, developing players, building, you know, with kids around for a couple of years. Now, granted, transfer rules are what they are. I don't think we're going to see restrictions put on the transfer rules. But if you're going to get money, I think this is sort of where he and a lot of coaches are in concert. If you're going to get money to play for a school through NIL or whatever you want to call it, then there should be some type of something on the kids' end of it, just like there is an NFL ball, because what it's become is, is glorified professional ball. Anyway, it has been for a while, but there's got to be some type of commitment on the players' end to stay for so long. Uh, if not, just like a coach's buyout, you know, if a, if a coach has a contract, I mean, Using real examples, Caleb DeBoer had a $12 million buyout in Washington that somebody had to pay. I'm sure Bama paid it, most of it, not all of it. But that was part of his contract. And I think that's sort of, if we're going to go down the road of paying players and having contracts, then that at least lessens some of the movement, some of the chaos. I mean, there's got to be some type of model. And this is what Nick was saying. Listen, we got to come together and have some sensible conversations and figure out a model that works for everybody, players, schools, you know, programs, that it's a player compensation model where guys get paid, but you don't have 
sort of this, you know, no guidelines where guys can move around yeah. at will. And from year to year, you know, you've got tampering in the portal. You've got tampering out of high school. I think those are the kind of things that he wants to see sort of a voice of reform to try to get some of those things fixed. ESPN's Chris Lowe with us on the McClarty Daniel Hotline. Yeah, I think in the mind of most uh, seasoned sports fans, uh, you mentioned your, your your tenure in veteran status. Um, we think it's gotten worse, or at least I do. And uh, Chris, my question is: Is it going to get worse before it kind of rebounds and gets better? Uh, all the recent court rulings seem to all favor the players. Seem to all loosen the the, the guidelines that don't seem to exist now. Or have we reached? Uh, what some people would consider bottom on this uh, NIL and portal situation? I don't know. I mean, you got the recent court rulings in Virginia and Tennessee basically saying the, the NCAA cannot enforce uh, its NIL rule, meaning if, you know, if you've gone and you've paid for a kid to, to come to school through collectives or, I mean, one of the allegations against Tennessee is that they flew the quarterback in on private jets. Well, those were rules that were put in. Remember, NCAA rules were rules that were put in by NCAA school and members. And the NCAA enforcement staff goes out and enforces those rules. Well, now the court cases say that's a, that's a breach of antitrust violations if you go out and enforce those rules. So we're now in a, in a, in a time period where I think anything goes. And that I don't know that there's anything you can't do to try to get entice a kid or get a kid to come to campus or get a kid out of the transfer portal. At some point, going back to what I was, you asked me about Nick Saban, all the sides have to come together and figure this out. You know, whether, whether players are contract employees, whether there's revenue sharing, whether you bring it in house, a model on how to pay players. But I think what this does is that it expedites the need to do that. I don't, you know, my personal opinion is this within two years, two or three years, I hate to. You know, to give you a specific timeline because I don't have a, a crystal ball. I don't know that the NCAA will be governing football. I just, I just see some type of break, some type of deal with the biggest schools, the, the brand name schools. And I don't know what that number is. Is it 30? Is it 40? Is it 48? Are playing their own, you know, their own league, their own governance, their own playoff, maybe a commissioner. Uh, they have their own model, how to compensate players. Uh, I just have a hard time. When you look, as you just pointed out, all the rulings they have gone against the NCAA, it's going to be hard for them to be effective yeah. going forward. Chris, Chris one of the, go ahead, Tommy. Now, so I want to shift the conversation just slightly uh, back to Alabama a little bit and Caleb DeBoer taking over uh, for the greatest of all time. What, what is a reasonable expectation? For, are, are there even such things as reasonable expectation when it comes to Alabama football and what do you think the landscape looks like for the Crimson Tides football program the next 24, 36 months? Uh, you had to win every game by at least two touchdowns. <laughs> That's probably. <laughs> <laughs> I, uh, I would say it starts, in all honesty, with you know making sure they're in the playoff next year, especially where they're going to 12 teams. If, if, there's, you know, if they were to lose three games, uh, which probably would leave them on the outside looking in and not get into the first expanded field. And that would be uh, not the best way in the world for Kalen to start out there in Tuscaloosa. So I think it starts with finding their way back into the playoff, you know, and being a team that's, you know, come December when you're having that playoff, it's, it's a really good football team. And, you know, you could point to and say, hey, if, if they play well, things are right. They got a chance to be in that final four, ultimately playing for a, 
for a national title. I mean, I, I, listen, I don't care who it is in Alabama. With what Nick Saban did and, and the precedent and standard, whoever, and, and listen, I've had a chance to talk to Kalen DeBoer. He knows this. Whoever was going to come in behind him was going to face, you know, massive slash unrealistic expectations. And he understands that. But, you know, he did have his team in the national championship game last year, only in his second year at Washington. They were 4-8 and eight the year before he got there. So I think he's I think he's well aware of what the challenge and how steep this challenge is. But I think just being nationally relevant, you know, staying nationally relevant, recruiting at a high level, being a team every year that when you start the season, that you're a legitimate threat to win it all. And when you get to the playoff, especially now that we're in 12 teams, that you're in that playoff. I think that's sort of the, that's where you start with the expectations. And from there, I mean, you guys know what's going to happen if they go a couple years and don't win a national title or not playing for one or don't win an SEC title. Um, then even if they are a 10 win team most years and they are a nationally relevant team, then the, the grumbling's going to start. That's just, that's just reality there in Tuscaloosa. Chris Lowe with us, ESPN.com senior writer on the McCarty Daniel Hotline. Chris, Tommy mentioned playoff there. I know your colleague Pete Thamel talked about some recent developments, maybe expanding to a 14-team playoff. Uh, in your opinion, what is the correct number of teams that should be in the college football playoff every year? And do you like the 5-7 to seven model that they've shifted towards? Well, I, I like the fact that there's going to be more opportunities for teams to get in. The, the not-so-usual suspects. I like that. I don't think it's going to change guys much who wins it. I think you're going to still see the same teams 90% of the time winning the championship. But it does give a few more teams a chance to get in it and play and have an opportunity. It's it's more inclusive, if you will. Uh, Again, I want to be really clear, but I don't think it means that all of a sudden you're going to see Purdue winning national titles or or Boston College, or, and of course, you know, I'm being, you know, even even a school like Texas A&M has a one-one. I still think it's going to be the, you know, the Ohio States, the Georgias, the Alabamas, the Michigans. Um, you know, those. I think Oregon is, is a team under Dan Lanning is a team that's going to be right in the mix every year. But I do think it's it's pretty cool to see you know a group of five team have a chance to get in, and some other teams. You know, like you take the SEC. You know, you go back to you know, Sam's really good year at Arkansas when they were well, they were nine and three. You know, they they might have had a chance to be in that conversation. You know, Ole Miss last year, Missouri last year. You know, a fourteen playoff that's not going to happen. And and I think the other thing a twelve team playoff does is think of the number of teams as we go into November that have a legitimate chance to play their way in the playoff. I mean, you're you're not you know last year as you went into November you had what seven teams. That really had a shot. I mean, you're going to have 20 teams, 15 to 20 teams now, as you get into November that have a legitimate chance to play their win. I like that. The other thing I like is the fact that you're incorporating campus sites for the playoff. To me, I'm, I'm a big believer in, in college football is all about playing games on campus. And those first round games that are going to be played on campus, I think will be fascinating. You know, imagine. You know, Arkansas going up to play Penn State in Happy Valley, or or Oregon having to travel to, you know, College Station to play Texas A&M, or Florida having to travel to, you know, Corvallis, Oregon to play Oregon State. I mean, those <laughs> to me, those type of those type of potential intersectional type games in a playoff 
format are fascinating. I don't want to see it go much larger than 12. I think at some point, if you keep expanding, then it does water down the regular season. It really does. I mean, you know, for instance, if you're a Georgia and you've lost one game, you know, or you haven't lost any games and you get into November, what, you know, do you rest players? You know, you're going to be in the playoff. I, I don't think you would rest players because you're wanting to get one of those top seeds and a bye. But all of a sudden, the month of November doesn't become as, uh, as big a deal. I mean, think about college football now. To me, November is a great month. Crazy things happen. Upsets happen. If those upsets do happen, you know, you're out, you're out of the, the playoff. Go back to that, uh, was it not two years ago, the, the South Carolina Tennessee game. Tennessee's in the playoff. The only game they lost was to Georgia. Uh, they had a really good team. They're still ranked in the top, what, five, uh, four. They go to South Carolina and just get boat raced. And the Gamecocks play the best game they played under Shane Beamer. Tennessee's out of the playoff. And, and that really sort of propels the Gamecocks to have win eight. So, so I don't want those types of games, those types of upsets, those types of stakes in November to completely go away. So that's why I don't think, in my opinion, I'd like to see it go much bigger than 12. Well, think about last year. I mean, we all believe Georgia would have gotten in a 12-team playoff last year. Anyone betting against them being at least in the, the final four if there had been a 12-team format last year? Of course not. We all believe Georgia was amongst the four best teams in the country. So that's the other thing. Instead of Georgia being on the outside looking in, they'd have they'd probably had a seat at the table when it's all said and done. No, it would have been. I mean, I still think they were one of the best four teams. And, you know, if you want to go down that road, what is it the best, the most deserving, you know, a combination of the two? I mean, I think if you would have uh, polled every Power Five football coach last year and said, hey, who are the four least teams based on what you've seen throughout this season that you want to play, Georgia would have been on every coach's list of the top four. Uh, but that's, you know, that's an argument for another day. But I, I do think, too, the, 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 the Big Ten of the SEC wouldn't mind seeing it going to 14 because I think with all this, this I guess you're not supposed to call it an alliance, but the Big Ten SEC <laughs> advisory group would like to have more uh, more skin in the game. Maybe two or three, for instance, automatic qualifiers from their conference every year in the uh, playoff. And if you go to more than 12 teams, there's a more likelihood that that will happen. A, a bigger share of the pie those two schools because those two com- I, I should say conferences those two conferences are going to dominate they already, they already pretty much have you know a huge they have a lot of control of what happens right now uh, and you're going to see that that playoff dominated by teams from those two conferences let's be honest OU and Texas joined the SEC Washington Oregon SC UCLA joined the Big Ten I mean go back and do the numbers from this past year how many schools, uh, if you had a 12-team playoff, certainly if you had a 14-team playoff, would have been from those two conferences. As far as the 5-7, yeah, I, I think it's good. I, I do think it's good to protect conference champions. And, um, you know, I don't know that... Um, I, I tell you what team, what, tell you what fan bases are going to go crazy about. It, is wait till... I'm not going to pick on one conference, but I'll just say hypothetically, the Big 12 champions lost three games. All right, they're going to be a top four seed. They're going to get a bye. And let's let's use your example: the SEC that someone runs a table and they're unbeaten. Whoever that is, Texas, Georgia, whatever. And then there's another team like Georgia last year 
that's a great football team that's one law that's lost one game, maybe to the conference champion, like such is the case last year. Well, that team, in this case, say Georgia, they're not going to get a top seed. They're going to have to play um, that first round. Probably going to be a five seed. So you're going to have a team that's lost three games, maybe hasn't played as tough a schedule as Georgia. That gets a first round by and is seeded out of Georgia. I mean, that's going to be something that fans are going to have to get used to. But that's the format that's in place now uh, in a five-seven. I am intrigued by some of those college football matchups, Chris, that you, you brought up this morning. We'll get to see him this upcoming season as it moves to a 12-team playoff this upcoming year. Chris, we really appreciate your time this morning. Again, Chris Lowe, ESPN.com, talking all things college football. Chris, we're still 200-some-odd days out, but I know college football is always on your mind as it is ours, and uh, we appreciate you sharing some thoughts with us this morning. All right, you guys keep tabs on uh... – um, Bobby Petrino, there. I think that's. I know that's a crazy storyline in Arkansas, but I bet you he does a good job. I'd be very surprised if they're not improved offensively. Bobby there in, uh, in Fayetteville. Hey, sports fans, don't let plumbing issues throw you off your game. Pascal Air Plumbing and Electric is here to tackle those pesky drain blockages and ensure your water heater is always in MVP form. With Pascal's world-class service, you can count on a winning play every time. Whether it's a quick drain clear or a water heater touchdown, Pascal's got the expertise to keep your home running smoothly. Stay in the game and leave the plumbing to the pros. Schedule your service online anytime at gopascal.com. Pascal Air Plumbing and Electric. You're listening to the Bud Light Morning Rush Podcast. Bud Light, proud sponsor of Arkansas Athletics. All right, time for your hog update this morning. Arkansas drops a conference game to Vanderbilt last night by three. It was disappointing for a number of different reasons. Did like what I saw from Caleb Battle as he get 36 last night. L. Ellis also surpassed the 1,000 career mark as a college basketball player. He's done it in a couple different spots. Louisville, a community college, and then Arkansas as well. Uh, again, Musselman disappointed after the game, but he did tip a hat to Vanderbilt, who came in and played a quality game. They kept the lane compact. I mean, we did get 31 free throws attempted. I think we were trying to get to zone one, but again, defensively, you know, we fouled too much. 32 free throws for Vandy. Out-rebounded nine offensive rebounds for them, especially the one off the free throw really hurt us. I thought their bench did a pretty good job for them. You know, we got our bench is not gotten outscored much tonight it was 19 to 10 tip your hat to uh, Vanderbilt for for how hard they played and not the the same punch as he just referred to coming off the bench that's another area that Tommy that Arkansas had success in but points in the paint was probably the most prevalent to me you nearly got beat by by 20 in that category yeah, and the one he mentioned on the free throw, the rebound and putback, that was really painful because uh, that just shouldn't happen. You, you've got a four to four to two edge. You got a two two to one edge on each side of the lane. That that shouldn't happen unless there's a really squirrely bounce. And it was a coaching mistake. I'll be I'll be blunt about it. Must should have never put five guards in in that situation. You've got to get a rebound, and you're having Jeremiah Davenport, who is barely six six, trying to box out Vanderbilt's big man, who just carved you up all night long on the glass. I'm trying to find his name. Lupin just ripped you apart. Finished yep. 9 of 10 for the field. Put Makai in. Makai grabs that rebound. Arkansas is heading the other way with a chance to tie it up. Now, they still had a chance at the tail end of that game to tie it up based on a miraculous shot from Caleb Battle, but that was a bonehead 
play right there. I mean, a bonehead situation. And listen, there are a lot of other plays, a lot of other mistakes that players made through the course of that game that I guarantee a Musselman was trying to coach against or trying to prohibit them to. That was a coaching mistake last night, not putting... Makai or Chandler Lawson in that, in that situation when you're trying to get a rebound just a miscue on his part yeah and uh, that was costly and when you're trying to mount the comeback Arkansas was trying to mount those are those are demoralizing you, you just don't get you don't get by those very easy so uh, mentally that those were that was that's pretty hard so that was what happened in Bud Walton Arena. As far as what happened in, in Bob Walker Stadium, it was a clean game from this Arkansas baseball team. 21-1. to Dave, pretty pleased after the game. I really like the way we played today. You know, obviously, it's not the pitching that we've been seeing, but you still have to hit it, and you have to hit it hard. The wind's blowing in. And our guys just came out with a little bit of an attitude, it looked like to me. And I felt like it, we would have won today no matter who we played. Uh, Grambling just happened to be the recipient of Arkansas's lashing, which they, again, thoroughly got over and over from hitting Arkansas. 20 hits. Tommy, first time since 2018 you've gotten 20 Bates hits. They were just banging the ball over the yard yesterday. A couple home runs, a couple grand slams as well in addition to that. Uh, Jason Jones had himself quite a day against Grambling. Yeah, and this is a game that only went seven innings. Arkansas didn't even bat in the bottom of the seventh because it was 21 to 1. And you think about that, you know, you got six turns at the plate, so to speak, through through six innings, but you had 37 at bats. I mean, that's, that's pretty incredible. Um, the way Arkansas shredded Grambling. Now, Grambling's one and seven, but I think what Dave said is important there. Uh, coach saying, hey, anybody in the country we'd played today with the way we were hitting the ball uh, probably would have failed to the Razorbacks. But uh, uh, got to build some confidence uh, with the way they're hitting the ball here lately. But, you know, I don't know. Uh, the way they're pitching and the depth of this pitching staff, uh, it's, it's easy to be optimistic about where we're headed. Hi, everybody. This is Chris George from Joshua's Fine Jewelry in beautiful downtown Russellville. It's the most wonderful time of the year. Christmas gifts, weddings, heirloom family treasures. And at Joshua's Fine Jewelry, we only have one sale every year, and it's right now. Every single item in our store is value priced for Christmas. We do custom one-of-a-kind jewelry. If that's what you're looking for, come see us. You can get anything fixed for a Christmas gift. Selection, quality, service, and Christmas red tag prices now through Christmas at Joshua's Fine Jewelry in beautiful downtown Russell. Have you tried Benville Brewing's new Space Goose Hazy India Pale Ale? It's handcrafted in Arkansas. You'll taste the great tropical citrus, including the passion fruit, the guava, and pineapple. It's creamy, zingy, and zows the taste buds. It's weird, wonderful, and wacky all at the same time. Try the new Space Goose Hazy India Pale Ale from Benville Brewing. Well, it was a successful weekend for the guys in Globe Life as they took two of three, lost a really tight one in 14 innings to Oklahoma State. And, uh, Clay, not just from a uh, media standpoint here in locally in Arkansas, but nationally, Arkansas's pitchers sure seem to be in the news of a lot of baseball fans this weekend. Yeah, they, they, uh, the pitching staff definitely showed out. And, um, you know, there, there was a lot of that from all three you know the, the pitchers that I saw. Michigan didn't do great in two of the games, but they came back and dazzled with some guys on Sunday. Um, you know, one of the things that I saw is uh, the umpires there uh, seemed like they wanted to get the games over, although that backfired on them with the 
Have you ever had two seven-inning stretch games? You know, that game that, that we watched uh, Saturday night, you had a seven-inning stretch, and then they had another seventh-inning stretch in the 14th inning. So I've never done that before. Got up and sang the song the second time. Um, but it's uh, it's early, and they have a lot of new players, position players, that more veteran, you know, pitching. Um, and it looked like, you know, some of the – you know the new hitters they're not necessarily all young they're transfers but they haven't been on that kind of a stage it's uh you know for that shortstop it's not uh this isn't like playing at sacramento state <laughs> it's just uh you know he's probably had 350 at his games a little different uh yeah, talking about viva Loy. and i want to say dave talked about like 50 i think the the, the percentage he used was like 50 percent of the guys in the infield of outfield haven't been decided. You even think about the catcher position, Clay, where they've rotated several guys in, still trying to figure out who's going to do what. They got four. Yeah, yeah. and that's uh, that's that's uh, some some teams don't even have one. So while it's a luxury for some, it's again trying to shake it out. But there's seven games in. You got a lot to go. I guess they're eight games in as of. Uh, yesterday, but uh, a good performance. Sometimes when you uh, play a much lesser opponent coming off some really good pitching, it doesn't pan out, but uh, that was the most amount of hits they've had since 2018, and the bats woke up yesterday. Yeah, and you know, what you also look at, and, and this is probably a long a long dissertation. I, I like those those dissertations and essays. Um, you know, when you just think about how you put your team together and Arkansas is, you know, they go for the long ball. You know, they're, they're, they're trying, you know, analytics show that's the way to play the game. Go for a three-run inning. Don't play small ball. It's uh, in all the parks in the SEC, you know, are, are smaller. They're, they played in a massive cavern. That that place in in uh, at Globe Life, Life Field, it is, you know, it is big by major league standards. So it's, they had about four hits to the warning track or to the wall i think three of them were caught all of them have been out in any sec park so your run total changes there were runners on in a lot of those situations so all at once you score five six seven eight runs with that pitch and then you know it looks a little different and you say well let's play small ball then if you're playing in that kind of a place well you you play the way you're going to play all year and you know it just didn't work out uh, it did yesterday. You know, they had four home runs yesterday. The wind's a little different. You got no wind in that place down there. It's, an, you know, it's a covered inside stadium. Even though the the wind was ripping outside, you don't get any help. You either cross winds or with the wind like it was yesterday to left. Um, and then, you know, the the you say, well, it's going to be a big park when you get to Omaha. But you got to get to Omaha, and the way you do that is that you win home. You know, you, you get home regionals, home super regionals, and you do that by playing well in the SEC. So they built their team analytically to hit home runs, and I think they will hit home runs. They, they, uh, well, well, why do you say they they'll hit home runs? Well, the what they did in the fall and what they've done in January against their pitching has you know has been long balls. They they've hit the ball pretty good. You know, it's been an even match against their own pitching. And so I think it's just timing, rhythm, getting comfortable, uh, getting settled, you know, and I think it'll it'll play itself out and you'll think, well, this is this is a good position lineup. Clay, let's talk about Hagen Smith because yeah. obviously that was the 
the the star performance of the weekend and sure was yeah and when you think about a, a tournament or a, an event like that that's got uh you know premier teams in it i can't help but believe there were dozens of scouts on hand what what did that 17 strikeout performance mean for him personally with his draft stock yeah let's uh let's put it in perspective first uh 17 strikeouts in 18 outs in six innings. In other words, the maximum he could have got was 18. Well, I guess you could have had some, you know, swing and misses and the guy gets to first base or something like that and you can get more than more than three in an inning. But let's just, let's just for practical purposes, just it's like he just about struck out every guy. And there weren't even foul balls, Tommy. I mean, it's, you know, it's mm-hmm. like they couldn't make contact with the guy. They couldn't run his pitch total up. That's how you get Hagen Smith out. And that's what people were doing last year. You know, ball two, ball three, you know, two foul balls all at once. It's seven pitches and it bat. And you add that up and you only go four inning. They couldn't, they couldn't touch the guy. Couldn't get it out of the infield. I think they hit, they had a bunt single and then they had a hard grounder, the second baseman that he, didn't handle it. They called it an error. Then they switched it back to a hit, and that, that's it. I talked to a guy at the very top of the major leagues, and um, his his specialty is pitching, and he he knows Arkansas's pitchers, and he wasn't there, but his organization had two scouts there. I mean, it wasn't that every team had a scout there there were cross checkers there too tommy i looked down i said sarah and i sit like four rows up in the second deck and we're looking straight down behind you know the section behind home plate mm-hmm. and there's an aisle and on either side of the aisle there's about 20 scouts so i i would i would guess there was 40 to 50 scouts i mean there everybody wanted to see hagan smith against bazana the you know the the hot shot from from Oregon State. Well, guess what? Hagan faced, faced him three times. I think he touched the ball once, struck out three times. You know, so that guy's supposed to be the number one player, position player in the draft. So the, what I'm told now is that Hagan, you know, may be the top left-hander of the draft, and he might have moved up, you know, 10 or 15 spots in the first round. Now, you know, that's, that's, wow. you know, that's just right now. Now, wow. do the math on what, you know, what the guy in, you know, the top five picks overall is going to get, and it's it's like five to seven million signing bonus. So he made him some money. Now he's he's got to do that, but you know if he gets hurt, he's still going to be drafted the same way because they they know what his his max is. You know they've they've seen it. Now he's at ninety seven, ninety eight on the gun. And, you know, when he started and when he finished, he was still at 95. So it didn't, you know, he, he didn't get tired, you know, 78 pitches. He'll probably go 85 the next time, third time out, you know, maybe 100. So, you know, he, he could throw a no-hitter at any time. He threw six in high school at Bullard yeah. High School. He threw six. Didn't play travel ball. Uh, you know, that's partly why he wasn't, you know, wasn't drafted higher, you know, and signed out of high school is because he didn't leave Bullard, just kind of hung around there. And they wanted, you know, he's playing in a smaller classification in, in Texas. And so it's like, well, you know, he's not playing travel ball. He's not playing summer ball. He's just playing high school at Legion. So that, that you know, that kept his stock down, which was, that's how Arkansas got him to school. Um, but he is... He is he's the best I've ever seen at Arkansas. So let, let me ask you this because you, you bring up, you know, going to eighty pitches and maybe working to a hundred. 
there's going to be if he has you know a good performance and he's not going to be you know nails every night. Well, you know that's just not the nature of how sports works. But knowing you've got McIntyre and Cody Frank and good mid relief behind any of these starters. How often do you want to stretch him out? I mean, well, because you're not going to have to. You got those two really good options for mid re, mid mid inning relief. I, I get it, Tommy. You know, I understand. But it, you know, what you hope for is your Friday night is the guy that gives you the most innings because okay, because you've got two more games, and where you really really make hay is when your when your Friday and Saturday guys go deep, and you save that bullpen. And you really, you know, you're you're going against a, a team that you hope you've gotten into their bullpen, and then you get to Sunday. Now they got Mason Molina on Sunday, and he he's not chopped liver. He was Friday night for Texas Tech. You know, gave them a hundred, I think, a hundred innings. So you you uh, you you're sitting pretty with these three guys. Now who knows if I mean we don't remember any time in the SEC. Not setting you up for misery, but hardly any time do you get a starting rotation that just sails through the season. You know, Vanderbilt almost did that a few years ago, and then their guys started to, you know, you know, kind of get dinged up. You know, and I can't even remember the names. Lighter, who who was the the rocker? Mm. You know, rocker wasn't the same. By the time Arkansas saw him in the SEC tournament, you know yep. something had happened, and so that you don't you don't ever know, and that's the thing that, well, yeah, you want to you know maybe you save your bullpen and go deeper. Well, what you really want to do is that you want to conserve your innings on your studs early in the season. And I've heard Dave say many times, you know, like, well, I went and got a guy, Blaine Knight, Isaiah Campbell in the sixth inning, you know, in April. Well, well, why? You know, his pitch count wasn't just super high. He was cruising, and then he's like, "Man, when we want him is June. You know, we want to get to June with you know without having him worn out." Yeah, and that's what the again Arkansas and the situation where some fans push back on the idea of Hagen not trying to get the individual record. I completely understood where Dave's coming from because of what you just said. And listen, individual records are all great, but you want him for postseason play. At this point, Clay Henry's with us here on the Morning Rush on a What's Your Beef Wednesday, as is Brent, who's in Searcy this morning on the McCarty Daniel Hotline. Brent, welcome in with Clay, Tommy, and myself this morning. Hey, what's going on, guys? Hope y'all having a great morning. Uh, I just got one thing to say. This basketball team makes my whole body itch. <laughs> yeah, I'd take an oatmeal bath. <laughs> I mean, this this is this is ridiculous. We put we can't put three three good performances together. I mean, this team let's mercifully get the season over. We had a lot to gain last night, and we just let it go let it go out the window. I don't understand it. I don't, and I don't know that I ever will understand this team. This team was not constructed well. And I've said that the whole year. And the head coach has to own that. I think Eric Musselman, uh, Brent, we appreciate your call this morning. I think Eric Musselman would tell you he doesn't understand this team at times. I mean, again, you're starting to play good basketball the last few games, and then you throw up a stinker like that against a team that hasn't won a road game all season, against a team that hadn't gotten 80-plus all season, against the worst offensive and defensive team in this league. 
and you let them come into your building and outshoot you and really outgun you for a good duration. It's really the meat. Guys, Arkansas played them at the beginning of the end. They just didn't outplay them for a good 30 minutes or so in that stretch, which uh, typically when you lose 30 of the 40 minutes in a college basketball game, you're going to lose that said game, which is exactly what happened last night. Yeah, guys, I, I didn't think they played great against Missouri. And, you know, they, they kind of righted the ship down the stretch. Uh, but, you know, they they were down in the second half. And Missouri's, Missouri's awful. So you you haven't really done anything in the, you know, maybe winning at Texas A&M, but, I, you know, there, this isn't a you know this isn't a good shooting team at you know Texas A&M, but they kind of you know they kind of reverted in in some of their defensive issues. I mean they mm-hmm. there, there were times where it looks like well that guy can just drive straight to the basket. There's nobody there, and he did. <laughs> it's like well, you know there there was no help. You know there was a lane open. You know the you know have a guy Devo had a guy on the wing. He took you know he took one dribble, two steps, and laid it in. And I mean nobody reacted. And uh, that's just you know at this point in the year, that shouldn't happen. I mean, there, there's there is not anybody in this league that allows that defensively. And and I've never seen a Muslim team allow that. And you know I you know I watch him watch his body language. He's like, man, you know we've covered that a million times. You know how to rotate and how to help. You know, you force a guy to his offhand. Yeah, you did that 25 feet away. But, you know, if he takes a dribble with his offhand, there's got to be somebody that steps in and, and, you know, makes him turn around. Um, You know, I can name, you know, all the teams in the league. They don't allow that. And just go go down the list. I mean, Vanderbilt didn't allow that. They didn't let Arkansas to the rim. But it happened on the other end over and over. Yeah, what ha- I mean, obviously you you, know, you explain it as simply as they just went cold from the floor. But no. Clay, did you see anything in the end of that first half that led to that one for seventeen? Did, was there an adjustment from Vanderbilt defensively? Yeah, they defenses. I mean, they went to that zone, but but yeah. Arkansas just went ice cold after building a ten point lead. Yeah. So that what what Arkansas's done of late is get to the rim and then play inside out, and they did not. They did not get to the heart of the defense. I mean, they, 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 you know, Vanderbilt cut them off. They played the gaps. And John Sunvold said that, you know, over and over, they're really playing the gaps. In other words, that that's not, you know, that's a defense that's designed, you know, to stop penetration. You know, they're shading them a little bit, and they got somebody helping on, on the next man. And it's like, all right, you want to, I'm going to come off my man just a little bit to help this guy. And then, you know, you kick to that guy. Well, he, you know, about the only thing, you know, they're going to launch threes. They launched 30. That's not been their recipe, you know, to take 30 threes. And I know part of it is, you know, when you're down, that's the way to catch up. You can go three for two. And they did that a little bit. But, I, I you know, they get to the free throw line. And Vanderbilt is a fouling team. They, But I didn't see – Fouls that weren't called. I thought it was a well officiated game. I mean, I, any, you know, even, you know, the tees, I, I think Tommy, all of us would have, you know, would have teed those guys up. Yeah. Uh, two tees, that's, that's not a good recipe. You know, when you, your players are getting technicals, you know, when your coach gets a technical now and then, you know, I, I think, I think Nolan told me one time, the only person on the airplane 
you know, like in other words, you load up, you know, 20 guys, assistant coaches, managers, players, assist, you know, I'm the only one that can get a tee. <laughs> you know, how many tees have you seen from players this year? Two last night. That, Too many. And when you lose by one bucket, what's the difference? It's minuscule. You can't. Yeah. You can't give up four free throws. I mean, I, I I guess they only gave up two. You don't shoot double technicals, right? They only, yeah, but there was a, yeah, the third technical on battle. Uh, yeah, did create that because that was after the uh, offsetting. No yeah, question, right? But it, it's just you know, now I'm preaching to the choir. Everybody, you know, everybody knows that you know that that's that's a no no. Um, so, but it, it's it you know whether you want to say I'm frustrated, yeah. You know, I'm not surprised anymore because this is what this team is. It's inconsistent. They're not really a good defensive team. They forced ten turnovers against a bad offensive team at home. That, yeah. I mean, you know, it's like what did they get? Two, three steals. I mean, that when in a, how many steals? Ty? Uh, I Vander, Vanderbilt had six steals. Yeah, Arkansas, Arkansas had four. Did. Yeah, so. and four steals on their home court. That just, you know, you should be able to play aggressive on your home court. I think they got 10 at, at A&M. And that, you know, so, yeah. Yeah, it uh, it certainly wasn't the night. Now they got to figure out, Ty, how to avoid knowing two week going to Rupp for their second game. This podcast has been presented by Bet Online. This podcast is an exclusive property of Pearson Broadcasting. It may not be copied, reproduced, modified, published, uploaded, reposted, transmitted, or distributed in any way without Pearson Broadcasting's prior written consent. Subscribe to the Hit That Line Podcast Network, the best podcast in the natty state. Just search Hit That Line wherever you listen to podcasts. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube. You know when you're listening to a true crime story that has an unbelievable plot twist that makes you stop in your tracks? That's what our podcast, People Are the Worst, brings you with each episode. I'm Rachel. And I'm Rebecca. We're identical twins who love true crime cases that make you say, didn't see that coming, and we hate the people responsible for them. Listen to People Are the Worst now on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts.